This is AutoLine Extra, available exclusively on the internet. Here again is John McElroy. Thank you all of you who are happen to be catching us right now. We're talking all about the electrification of the car, electric cars, extended range EVs, plug-in hybrids. I've got John DeChico here, a senior fellow with the Environmental Defense Fund, Paul Eisenstein, the bureau chief of the Detroit Bureau, who also put on his own sort of what would you call it? The next cruise, it was called right? The next cruise, yeah. We, uh, we had nine of the largest automakers bring something like 40 vehicles out, everything from advanced diesels to full electric vehicles, fuel cells, hydrogen internal combustion engines. And not only did we put them on display, but we actually gave consumers a chance to drive this technology. Yeah, great show. I was there myself. Really impressive. Thanks. If any of you would like to ask us questions, if you're looking down at your screen now on your computer, where it says click here to enter chat, click that on, you'll be able to type in any question and, and ask us what you may, but John DeChico with uh, Environmental Defense Fund, let me c come to you. We're all talking about uh, having these plug-ins, having these electric vehicles, plugging them into the grid. Can the grid take it? Mm. I think it can, I mean, especially to get started. I mean, the, uh, the grid has got a lot of capacity, uh, not for, peak loads. I mean, the, the limiting factor is when, you know, hot summer days and the sun belt and everybody turns their air conditioners on. But the initial market for cars up to, a, you know, in, into the millions, a lot of it, there'd be an incentive to plug in at night, you'd get lower rates. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think the grid is going to be a limiting factor for the launch of the electrification of the car. I think in this country, it's gonna be limited by other factors like battery cost. So, uh, you know, if we were to try to go over, now we're talking many, many decades, and we have the kinds of breakthroughs in batteries that we've not seen yet that would allow for a very full electrification, well then I think we'd really have to, you know, rethink the grid. But um, to get started and explore the opportunity to begin to test out uh, some of the new technologies, I don't think the grid is a limiting factor. Yeah. Actually, there's an interesting point to that. Uh, just this last year, you had a crash, you, I, I'm sure you know about this, in Texas, oddly enough, caused when there was a calm that shut down a lot of the wind generation. Mm -hmm. And I heard about in that. many parts of the country <clears throat> now, especially in peak demand periods, like uh, the south or the southwest in the summer, uh, a loss of even one or two percent can crash the system tremendously, just bring everything down for sometimes for days. Uh, what's interesting is that battery cars could actually help resolve the problem. That's at least what some yeah, of the explain people- Explain that, because I- uh, People are actually thinking about how do we make these things have more of an advantage than just simply getting people to stop using gasoline? And one possibility is during the day, you go to work, you plug in. Well, that's, that can be a two-way street. So for example, you plug in your car and you're charging up, but then all of a sudden there's a peak demand that the system cannot meet. Uh, you may approve it and you probably would have to. Uh, or you might even get paid to-, to Where you could actually be paid to have some of the battery power drawn out of your vehicle for a brief period, maybe a 15 minute period, when the peak demand is not there and we need every drop we can get and it actually will come from 10,000 battery cars that are plugged into the system. Again, if you're just tuning in, we're talking all about electric cars, the electrification of the automobile, plug-ins, extended range EVs and the like. 
If you'd like to join our conversation, hit where it says click here to enter chat and you'll be able to type in a question and we can address that. Uh, let's come back to what Paul was just talking about here. Okay, so I plug in my car, I've been at work all day and I come out and I can't get home. It hasn't been recharged, they've been pulling juice out of it. I mean, could that well, happen? No, I don't think that's likely because again, um, we're, we're, to do this, there'd be investments in smart grid technologies, so the grid knows what's connected to it and its state of charge. It would be done with some, as Paul said, some kind of permission, some kind of, there'd be some kind of contract. You maybe mm -hmm. would release, actually leasing the battery from the utility company. Uh, so the utility company is carrying a lot of the risk in the battery. They're gonna want you to be a happy customer. Right. So uh, for a workable business proposition, plus the smart grid and the communication, uh, they're never going to drain your battery so that you can't get home. So I they, could, they might, for example, just, you might give permission to draw down 30% of the battery okay. or right. something like that. So you set a limit so you don't know you can get home or wherever That's you have right, to go, exactly. and, but they can buy that electricity off your car. And, and, and all, all they this, need is yeah. a little bit from this, you know, they don't need to suck your battery dry right. to get a lot of benefit if they've got a lot of batteries connected to the grid and they can take a little bit here and a little bit there that adds up and helps them meet their peak uh, load, which for them is extremely valuable because that, that extra peak megawatt that they need on a hot summer day is extremely costly to the utility, and it's where the risks are of um, having a meltdown in, in the electric system. Exactly. What about the batteries themselves, Paul? I mean, you know, recycling is a big issue. I personally have never seen a recycling yard for nickel metal hydride batteries. My understanding, and it's limited, I admit on this, the only one I know in this country recycling nickel metal hydride batteries is the U.S. Air Force, which has been using these things in jet fighters and bombers for, for quite some time. Isn't this an issue? I mean, it's, it's a definite I mean, issue. Lead acid batteries, I mean, almost 100% of those things get recycled. Sure. It's very easy to do. But what about nickel metal and, even more importantly, lithium ion batteries? That's going to be a big question. I wish I could say I knew more about the, the very specific details of, of recycling, but it is a problem. Listen, even with lead acid, acid it's a problem. Uh, it's probably more of a problem with lead. You know, I, I don't. Well, lead is poisonous, yeah. Well, but it's highly recyclable. Well, the main thing about lead is that. It's the cheapest battery technology. I mean, it's the why the one we use, and so it's the one that's going to be prone to abuse. But if you talk about, say, a lithium-ion pack that is in a plug-in vehicle, and now suppose we've got tens of thousands of these around, uh, I think first of all, the likelihood is you're not going to be the owner of that pack. Uh, in fact. As a consumer, you don't want the responsibility for that pack. Yeah. You're probably going to have it on some kind of a lease arrangement. Right. It's going to be a big pack. It's you know, lead acid battery is about like this. You know, people will throw them off into the junkyard or in the woods, and that's a problem. Uh, this is going to be a big pack with high voltage that takes professional tools to remove, and has got a lot of valuable chemistry in it. Right. So, I I, I don't. I, I don't see the recycling issue for the advanced batteries uh, in the w way we foresee using them. Uh, but it will require setting, setting have up to be set up an infrastructure. In, in it's fact, it's going to be too valuable to dump in the woods. In, in <laughs> fact, one of the challenges that a couple of the makers, Nissan, a couple others, are mm -hmm. looking at, they uh, they're, they're, they're talking about fast swap batteries. The Israeli program that this uh, entrepreneur yeah. Shai Agassi has come up with with Nissan would possibly have, will likely have a situation where you could not only charge up, but you might drive into any of a number of service stations 
and have a, a fast swap out. Swap out. Yeah, exactly. Well, remember the amount of voltage we're talking about. This isn't like plugging in a 110 or even a 220 right. uh, volt uh, line. I mean, we're talking about extremely high voltage. Right. Typically and so, 300 and up. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And and uh, on full electrics, it might be 800 or more. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of concern about how you deal with this. There's a safety issue if we're doing uh, full pickup truck uh, EVs. Uh, the amount of battery power that we're talking about, the amount of batteries, the amount of battery power, the, the, the voltage, the lines that we're going to be running through there. How do, you, how do you deal with these? What happens in an accident? And so on. So there are, there are safety issues and there's tons of things that, that we don't even think about maybe with today's car. But you know what? For all the particular problems, let's remember one thing. Uh, if we were to come out of the woodworks today, woodwork today, let's say we had started with electric vehicles and somebody came up and said, I've got a better way to do this. Instead of 500 pounds of batteries, I can give you 35 pounds or 25 pounds of a liquid fuel called gasoline. And you'd say, wait a second, you want me to put this hyper-explosive tank <laughs> under my stuff, of right. toxic stuff <laughs> under my butt? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Hey, hold on. We got a question here from Jumbo who asks, how far away are we from the electric companies uh, to provide this smart connection? And which comes first, the battery or the grid readiness? Let, let me start with you, John. Sure. Um, you know, I, I have to admit, I'm not close enough to the electric utility industry, uh, as, really as an automotive person, to know how close they are to providing the smart grid. I, I know that's been one of the things on the table, for mm -hmm. instance, in, in terms of some of the economic stimulus, they're looking for the government to help upgrade the electric grid because we've had some, again, grid breakdowns in this country, so there's a lot of interest in that. Um, I really do think that um, the limiting factor still has more to do with the battery and therefore yeah. coming up with the right creative business model that can make something workable for the customers given the realities of battery technology. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that, Paul? I, I agree with you. Um, you're starting to see smart grids going into place. I believe, John, maybe you recall uh, getting a notice uh, from Detroit Edison, if you're on that grid, that they're about to go to smarter systems over the next couple of years. They'll be able to stop using the meter readers. They'll be able to regulate certain things, give you discounts, for example, if you want to tr do those trade-offs for operating things like uh, uh, your air conditioning and the like at various hours. Some of this has already been in place, but they're going much smarter. And I think in some areas like California, you're seeing a push to get this in place very quickly because forget the electric vehicle, they need smarter infrastructure now just to deal with the fact that in many parts of the country they're running out of, uh, they're running out of the juice that they need. Uh, we got another question here. I think this goes to you, Paul. Uh, ben asks, what's the turnaround time to get a battery replaced? You talk about swapping batteries instead of recharging them. What, what do you think that would Well, be? if you were to do a traditional car, even, even the, uh, the Chevy Volt, uh, it would probably be in hours uh, that you're talking about because it would not be easy to just go in there. Uh, the goal in, with many manufacturers, Nissan in particular, they want to make this thing almost like it's like changing a battery inside of a, your electronic flash or electronic camera where you can just literally open up a panel pop it up and plug it in. Again, as we mentioned earlier, the, the technology, the linking technology has to be robust. You don't want to have something that can bounce around, uh, that can arc, that can 
corrode and what have you. Or even have you touch it as, <laughs> you don't want to right. touch those battery right. terminals. Say, the safety issue there. But I, I believe that Nissan is looking at being able to do with, with the Israeli experiment to be able to do those changes. What are they talking about, 10 minutes or less? That's what I've heard. Yeah. 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 No, I, I really think, quick swap out. Yeah, give it to the NASCAR boys and they'll figure <laughs> out how to change exactly. things over fast. I mean, it'd be like maybe a that's stop what, Maybe that's what we need is an electric <laughs> racing circuit. We put we those do. guys on it. We, I've heard we, that we, started, we, yeah. You know, one of the most interesting things to happen in this last year in motorsports to me has been probably the only thing of interest to most people of the American Le Mans series is that they just started the Green Car Challenge. Uh, I think they had the first race uh, October, if I remember correctly. So there is an interest. Formula One is talking about doing some greener things. Uh, I know some, some of, of them, them have been running ethanol and, and biodiesel and yeah. things like that. Right. But uh, the you know an electric race would be different because the parameters for racing with electricity, because you have this almost infinite torque available. Right. Uh, on the other hand, you're never going to have the range ultimately, especially if you're running the thing uh, flat out and at a high performance. So, you know, I don't, I don't think you would see an electric Daytona 500, but you might be having a different kind of a, of a race. Yeah, race until who, who goes the farthest on a battery. Well, that well, might be who goes. That is part yeah. of what the Green Car Challenge uh, judges you by. Hey, uh, Jimbo wrote back in, and I'm sorry, I called him Jumbo before. My eyes aren't as good as they should be. He says, I understand there's about five variations of batteries being built. But there must be a standardization to make this scheme work. Mm -mm. Well, I know he's right in the sense that when it comes to lithium ion, there are at least five. I'm aware of at least fourteen. Fourteen. Okay, many different chemistries. Typically, fourteen different chemistries, and that's families. So you can parse that. But he raises a good point, right? Hasn't there? Because how do you go and do this battery swap thing? That's one of the issues. Battery technology is a thriving area of research. as Paul said, there's 14 categories of chemistry, and then you talk of about the lithium ion. Right, of that just right. one technology. Uh, people are looking beyond that. Toyota's, in, in fact, expressed some, uh, you know, made some teasing comments that well, maybe it's not going to be a lithium ion mm-hmm. chemistry. Mm-hmm. They've got some other things in their labs. And then even in any given by somebody who's talking about nickel zinc, the sodium sulfur, which was a very promising battery during that. A board of California attempt to mandate That's electric right. vehicles. Uh, the problem well, with the sodium sulfur is one that the electric utilities are looking at. They're There's looking at that one actively that, for their own. You know the problems with wind and intermittency. They're looking at sodium sulfur. Yeah, it's a high temperature, high mm-hmm. power battery. Well, that's the thing. There's yeah. a, there's some new versions which apparently lower the temperature. Problem with sodium sulfur was you had to maintain temperature at right. a ridiculously high level. You go away for a vacation. You came back unless you could plug in at the parking lot. You're, it was going to cool off and uh, apparently if it cooled off too much, it would die. You'd have to replace the battery. It, tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, there's also something called a vanadium, a liquid vanadium right. battery, which will also be used by utilities. So the thing is, there's a, a huge array of chemistry. That which goes back to Jimbo's question. can be one form or, I, uh, or I mean, another. This is going to be one of the things that I think you know, re- is the reason why we're not going to see this really take off. Because in, in um, technology terms, battery technology is far from mature. And therefore, it would be premature to try to standardize it. And you do need standards to have a really large-scale industry because you, you need the competition to cut the costs down. Mm-hmm. And 
if you're going to have competitors just like it is in regular automotive components, you've got to have a clear understanding of the specs that have to be met right. and the standardization on the performance. Let's be careful. There's a way to go. For anyone who's watching right now, you'll see uh, a place that says click here to enter chat. If you'd like to send in a question, go right ahead. We'd love to get it in, yeah, although we're starting to wind this down yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Let's be a little careful, though, because mm -hmm. uh, it depends on what you mean by standardization. If, if, it, if what Jimbo's asking is, are we going to standardize on nickel, uh, lithium titanium mm -hmm. uh, or lithium uh, nickel or one of the others? We don't necessarily have to. Uh, Power is power to a degree. So if, if you're going to give me 1.2 volts per cell and you're going to meet my minimum requirement of that vehicle of X number of amp hours and, and so on. And the shape of the battery and where it fits right. in and how it that, connects that is all standardized. That chemistry is pretty, pretty it, it, it's not critical. Not Plus, as critical because John raises a good point. Well, you, you've got to have this competition and scale to get the cost At down. the scale and also we don't know yet. I mean there's a exactly how the battery is going to be used in the car right. in terms of how much you're going to rely on the battery versus an engine. Is it plug-in? Yeah. Is it all electric? What degree? What's the range? Mm -hmm. And um, all those parameters are going to dictate what you expect in the battery pack yeah. and its performance. So I think we're at a point that's a, it's a very exciting time, yeah. but there's a lot of ferment in the field. Yeah. and you know, if you think about the kinds of things people are putting on the table today that weren't on the table just two years ago, oh, yeah. it's, it's uh, you know, it's exciting, but what it does mean is I think the, the first consumers here are going to be the bold adventurers. Right. You, by the way, uh, consumer contr uh, computer control is a wonderful thing because mm -hmm. that will give a flexibility that you might not have otherwise to be able to plug a variety of things as it evolves, you know, to swap out batteries. One of the most interesting things uh, was proposed just a few months ago, at least was publicly disclosed by Chrysler. Their new Envy program has signed a deal with GE, not surprising since their CEO used to be one of the top execs, Bob Nardelli, was at, at GE. And they're talking about doing battery packs that will have two different types of batteries. Um, you'll hear the term of uh, various terms like energy density and power density and all. And, and some of these refer to how much battery, how much energy can you store in a battery. But the other thing is how much can you get in and out of the battery quickly. That's the uh, power and, density. Right, mm -hmm. exactly. So in some cases what you want is you might want possibly to pair up two batteries or a battary with a uh, ultra capacitor. Mm -hmm. So you may be able to store mm -hmm. tremendous amounts of energy in a battery that's not real good at getting the power on and off quickly. And the other battery or other device is used to get that power in and out real quickly into the car. And uh, so that's another thing. I mean, there's so many options being explored, but you're right. The cost will remain high. There'll probably be a lot of varieties which will keep, uh, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of change coming for quite a while. So it could be 10 years or so before we see some sort of standardization. But at least we're starting to talk about that. Absolutely. Okay, we got another question here. Carmen asks, what if a cell in the battery goes bad? That's the key challenge for battery management. And that's, um, you know, that's been a problem that a firm like Tesla has, has had a huge challenge with because they've had to, um, you know, they're trying to use off-the-shelf batteries and you need to have the pack performance. And uh, you really have to look at automotive expectations for reliability. 
you know, and I, I think we all know the jokes about what if Bill Gates build, uh, built cars, you know? <laughs> I mean, the standards we have for batteries and power electronics aren't anywhere near the standards we need to have uh, and expect in a uh, reliable car. So right. that issue of cell failure, pack integrity, there's gonna be a lot of computing power that goes into managing that such that you have an expectation of how many cells might fail. Uh, you gotta get that number engineered really small and then have a robust algorithm for making sure that you don't have a, a ripple effect that's gonna take your pack down mm -hmm. or degrade performance to a notable degree. So these are all engineering challenges that are, are not impossible, but you can't really even begin to work through them until you have um, settled on some of these per parameters in terms of performance and chemistry, and then you turn uh, some of the bright computational engineers like um, Anne-Marie Sastry here at University of Michigan, who specializes uh, with her firm in doing the kinds of optimizations uh, on, on batteries that can you know, put the smarts in and therefore take these real world problems of reliability and manage them down to your sort of six nines level that we need. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one of the reasons why, if, if, just real quickly, it's one of the reasons why you're likely, for all that we hear about all these breakthroughs and, and the like, you're likely to see that the auto industry will move at a much slower, more cautious pace than, than the, uh, the apples with the iPhone and what have you, yeah. where they need to have huge improvements right. uh, to make that same stuff reliable, not in the cell phone that may have to last six months right. uh, or a year, uh, but in a car which goes through the worst environment, minus 20 to 120 degrees, among other things. Uh, the automakers have to take it carefully. Yeah, uh, we got another question here from uh, a Dan91, I'll just call you Dan, uh, <laughs> who asked about what about hydrogen storage? I understand at the moment this is difficult, but they're trying to improve it. Dan, actually, we're taping a show with John DeChico here and with Paul Eisenstein where we'll be addressing that. It'll be on Autoline Detroit. You'll have to wait for that. We're, we're really addressing just the batteries and the electrification of the car right now. And, and, and maybe we'll, we'll have one last topic about this as we wind this conversation down. Uh, are we just trading an oil dependency for a lithium dependency? Mm. As we go to lithium ion batteries, the United States, just to use mm -hmm. one example, imports the vast majority of lithium that it uses. So we're just trading one dependency for well, another. Well, according to my psychiatrist, uh, lithium's <laughs> a great thing. <laughs> and I guess some of us are dependent, is that it? <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, joking aside, um, you know, again, to me the question is, how can we get the electrification off the ground? And I don't mm -hmm. think we're gonna hit that kind of a barrier um, all that soon. Um, and one of the things, there's a difference in the way we're going to use lithium compared to the way we use oil. Um, petroleum, and we, we use a staggering amount of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we use it on a one-way trip from underground to the atmosphere, and that's the problem. Um, lithium, we're going to have demand for it. It's an expensive material, relatively speaking. We are certainly going to be recycling just about every drop of it because it's valuable. And we can build, I think, I don't know the geopolitics of, of lithium, you know, the way I have, know the geopolitics of oil, but I don't think that's gonna be ultimately a big 
inhibitor, especially if we go about it in a smart way. This is one thing I know a little bit about. Uh, number one is we import the vast majority of our lithium from Chile and Argentina. It's not coming from the Middle East. Right. I think our second biggest market is actually Argentina, right next door. Uh, we also get it from Canada, Australia. We produce some here in the United States. There are a few bad actors in, in that and some of the other metals. For example, cobalt, which is a promising version of the lithium battery. Cobalt is going to be a bigger problem. If we settle on a cobalt, lithium ion, cobalt, what they call doped battery, that could be an issue. But there is an issue with recycling it. In, in mm -hmm. Talking to uh, Anne-Marie Sastry, as you talked about, and her husband's heavily involved in this too, recycling of lithium very energy intensive. Mm -hmm. And we recycle almost none of it right now. Three to four percent is mm -hmm. what they've told me because it's so energy intensive. It's cheaper just to use virgin stuff. Now, imagine if we start putting the stuff in cars, we're definitely going to be looking at uh, recycling it because uh, there's going to be a demand to do just that. Well, I think we're going to have to. I mean, lithium is energy intensive to re uh, produced from scratch too, and it's it's, it's because like it's well, it's because it's reactive. So th I think there's a fundamental thing there. It's re it's a reactive uh, atom, which is why it's powerful in batteries, and that does uh, create these challenges. Um, you know, one of the things that I think America is going to need to get used to, and then figure out how to do, is as we try to minimize the damage to our economy, to our environment from energy use, we may end up using more energy, but just different energy and smarter energy mm -hmm. to minimize the damage. There's, and, and the point is that there's not a free lunch in any of this stuff. And yeah. so I, I think the, the electro technologies and the battery technologies and the fuel cell technologies are gonna come along too. They all face challenges. We may end up using them and reusing them and using energy to do that. But we can do that in a much less impactful way than what we're doing now when we take 20 million barrels a day of oil from the world oil market, 60% imported, most of it coming from the Middle East, a lot coming from places that don't like us very much, mm -hmm. and put that on a one-way trip into the atmosphere. And I, I think with the challenges of lithium, we can do a heck of a lot better with that material than we're doing with petroleum. And, and, I, and I think at that point, this is probably a good place to, to wrap up this conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you for having tuned in on this. If you just came in, I'm pretty sure we're, we're taping all this. We're going to post the whole thing back up on our website. But Don, John DeChico from uh, the Environmental Defense Fund, Paul Eisenstein with the Detroit Bureau, thanks for sitting in and doing this live broadcast. Thank you. Thanks a lot, John. This has been fun.